Hello yet again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a really good revision history podcast with me, Mr. Hutchison. And we are nearing the end, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a long one, but we are on the final straight now. Two podcasts left to take us up until the end of John's reign. So I'm going to jump straight into this one. This one focuses on why John falls out with his barons, leading to the First Barons' War, what happens during the First Barons' War, and of course, looking at the most famous, infamous, most famous um, event during both Rich and John's reign, and that is Magna Carta as well. So at this point, I just want to remind you the importance of listening to these in the correct order, in chronological order. So if you haven't listened to um, the previous two podcasts on King John's reign, you need to go back and do that because this one, more than any others, links to those. Um, And so... I would do that if you've already done that or you're happy on the history on King John's reign up until uh, sort of 1213, then um, you're all set. So so here we go. Um, at this point, I just need to remind you about who the barons war, uh, who the barons were. The first barons war is between King John and his own barons. It's called the first barons war. You don't need to worry about the second barons war or the third or the fifth or the 96th, whatever, because that is after John. We're only interested in the first barons war in the same way that we're only interested in the third crusade during Richard's reign. So who are the barons then? Just a quick reminder. The barons were important people who were given land and titles by the king as part of patronage in return for military service. So the barons would then rule a large area of land called a fief in return for paying homage to the king and becoming a vassal. Okay, So all barons were tenants-in-chief in that they had land, which they then rented to people further down the feudal system. And more important barons would then use patronage to give smaller bits of their land to knights who would then rule that smaller bits of land and so on and so on. But the most important barons could call upon knights as their vassals and raise them up as an army. Those knights took land from military service to their key baron just in the way that barons took lands and titles in return for military service from the king. But what that meant was that if the barons wanted to They were in a great position to rebel because they had knights and armies at their disposal. Okay, so it made the barons dependent upon the king. But if the situation arose where the king and the barons fell out, those barons could actively raise armies and rebel against the king. And that's exactly what happens to John during the First Barons' War. Remember, if you're a baron you are interested in certain things. You're interested in increasing your land and wealth because that increases your your power base, if you like. So anything which is going to give you more land, more titles, you know, that would be extremely pleasing to a baron. You want to be able to trust your king as well. You want your king to feel like he appreciates you and that uh, he uses his patronage fairly and rewards those barons that are honourable, faithful to the king, and serve him in the best way. Okay, You want success in war. You want to be able to fight if you're a knight and and gain um, respect and honour on the battlefield. 
um, you know, think of Richard and what he wanted to achieve, wanted to make a name for himself when he went riding off on the Third Crusade. Other barons, barons are exactly the same as that. They want the opportunity to have success in war. And of course, just like anybody else, they want to feel safe and secure. They want their families to feel safe and secure. Okay. Now, if any of those things are not in place, that's what's going to make you angry. And actually, King John's actions go against all, all of those things. So we can see how the barons fall out of love with their king and actively, some of them actively start to rebel against him. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, the seeds for this sown uh, earlier. So falling out with the king, the interdict, excommunication of King John may have contributed to the barons being angry with him, okay, as well as increased taxation and the loss of Normandy. The loss of Normandy and the Andrevin kingdom made John seem weak. That was an embarrassment. Remember, his nickname was Soft Sword. And some of the barons themselves, some of the more important ones, had lands in both England and France and so lost those lands. So this is a sort of a multitude of reasons that are building and building and building over John's reign until they come to a head and it falls out in open rebellion. Now, it's easy to remember these reasons because you can sort of split them into four different reasons why rebellion open rebellion happens by the barons in 1215 so if you're ever asked a question you know explain why the barons went to war against john in 1215 you know 12 mark questions something like that you can sort of write three paragraphs or pick three bits of history based upon uh, these general reasons i suppose or you could theme your paragraphs against these reasons and then sort of focus in on specific events as um one case studies really so the first one is financial reasons okay john particularly after the loss of normandy in 1204 was looking for ways to raise money to build up an army so he could go back to france and win it back normandy was important for all the reasons i've been through in a in a previous podcast okay john desperately wanted to win it back after he lost it the only way he could do that was with an army the only way he could Raise a big army with state-of-the-art weaponry is by taxing his people. Okay, but what you've got to remember is the people had already been taxed heavily under Richard, and now John is taxing them far more even than Richard did. Okay, so that increased the pressure on the barons and made him more and more unpopular. Perhaps they were the barons were less less open to heavy taxation because they just had Richard that had done the same thing. But John ramps that up even more, folks. He score, he calls more scootages than any other king in the history of England. He also, of course, levies the 13th after he loses Normandy, which was literally a tax that everyone had to pay, whether you're a villain, peasant, baron, knight, didn't matter. And that was a 13th of all movable, all movable goods. Okay, so every time something's bought and sold, a 13th of that wealth goes straight to King John. And that was, of course, collected by his sheriffs, who were responsible for keeping uh, law and order and, and collecting uh, money. If you've ever seen most of the versions of Robin Hood, including the famous Disney one, uh, the sheriff of Nottingham is that famous character. He's working for Prince John, and he, he aggressively takes tax off the people. 
okay and 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 takes money by any means necessary that's that's kind of based on real history folks that's what was going on so it's not just the heavy financial demands it's the way king john went about it as well he was aggressive and he punished people severely if they didn't pay okay so huge amount of tax most of the tax had never uh, taxes like the 13th had never been done before the barons were unused to it not used to it and this is remember on top of the feudal incidents inheritance tax wardship fines all the usual ways that kings took money as well okay and to make matters worse and this links to another reason later on taxes were usually agreed between the kings and his key barons they met and they discussed it and they came up with what all parties thought was fair, and that's what happened. But John would just impose his tax demands without even consulting his barons. That links to the next reason, which is generally fairness. John used his powers arbitrarily. Arbitrarily means at random, at his own leisure. He did what he wanted. And he wasn't consistent in his judgment. He seemed to favour his friends with regards to patronage. He would give his friends more land, more titles than perhaps barons that had served more faithfully and, and been more instrumental in, in, in winning battles. So it didn't seem fair. There was no parity. It didn't seem right. And also he introduced really cruel punishments for anyone that he fell out with or anyone that he didn't pay or didn't pay their taxes when John asked. Now again, that's all A01. That's all description in exam terms. Okay, for a 12 mark question or a 16 mark question, you're describing history here. You would you need to get your AO2 in, you need to get your explanation in. So you could do that here uh, with regards to how it made the barons feel. So your explanation, you know, this was important because it made the barons feel insecure, it made them feel threatened, which felt, which made them feel they had no choice but to challenge John's control. Those types of statements are AO2. That's what explanation means. Okay, if your teachers have been writing on your uh, practice questions, not enough explanation, that's what they mean. All right, this was important because this led to, as a result of this, okay, those types of phrases are going to get you those, uh, those points. Anyway, I digress. Um, in terms of fairness as well, John had a hobby. He liked to sit as a judge at trials, okay, once a criminal's uh, um, accused of wrongdoing. Uh, John would sit and pass trial, but he wouldn't pass fair judgment. He passed sentences unfairly, inconsistently, and he favoured those families that he was friends with and, and passed very harsh judgments against uh, people that he didn't. There's a really great example of this unfairness as well, and that's the tale of William de Brous or William de Brioza. Sometimes you hear his um, um, name pronounced as. And this is a sort of infamous tale. Uh, it took place around 1210. Now, William de Brioza was a very close, um, almost friend, I suppose, of John's, but certainly an important baron. In fact, it's William de Brous that allegedly is the one that, that kills Arthur. That's how close a confident he was of um, King John's. But for some reason, we're not sure why, but William falls out with John. We think it's probably to do with the heavy tax that William... Um, was supposed to pay and he couldn't either he couldn't pay or he refused to pay and um, he knows that John's men are coming for him okay to punish him to make sure that he pays his tax William does a runner okay he runs away but instead of going after William John um, has his men 
go to William's home and take William's son and wife prisoner. His son's called William and his wife's called Matilda. Okay, takes them prisoner. And John imprisons them and says that until William pays, um, William's son and William's wife would be starved. William couldn't pay or he didn't pay. Um, his wife and his son starve and the story goes that Matilda, William's wife, was in so much pain from starvation, she was so desperate that after her son died of starvation, in order to stay alive, in sheer desperation, she ate her son's cheeks. She ate his face. So when the bodies were found, both of them had died of starvation, but her son's face had been eaten off by his own mother in a desperate attempt to stay alive. Now, this is a great piece of A1 to use to show John's cruelty and demonstrate why the barons may have come to dislike him. Because whether or not the story is true is irrelevant. It would have been heard by the barons, they would have known about this, and they would have been enraged, infuriated, scared. This is William de Brouse, William de Brioza, who was one of John's closest barons. If he could do this to one of his favourites, then all of them were at risk. Okay. In terms of his favourites as well, that's the, that's the third reason, favourites. Um, John didn't use patronage very well. Uh, he, didn't re he didn't consult his barons on important matters like tax and scootage. Um, he instead relied on a small sort of enclave, if you like, a, a small sort of group of people that, that advised him. And these people tended to come from France. They were like foreign invaders. And you've got to remember as well, in the context of this, that the barons in England were used to having a king who was never there. They've just had 10 years of Richard, who was off on crusade. He only ever visited the country twice. So they got quite used to ruling their fiefdoms, ruling their, their areas of land, ruling the kingdom, if you like, as they wanted. They weren't used to having a king meddle in their business. And now you've got John, who's kind of ever-present, back in England, not consulting them, ruling how he wants. And so, you know, this is a, a big contrast to how they used the country run. So he's not letting them run how they, how the country how they want, and he's not even consulting them, okay? Instead, he's consulting his favourites, uh, his best mates, if you like, who were French foreigners. And finally, of course, fourth reason, general reason, is France. John fails to win back France, okay? He does attempt it. He attempts it at a battle called the Battle of Beauvin, or Bouvines, if you're being very, very English and you want to know how to spell it, it's B-O-U-V-I-N-E-S, Beauvin, Battle of Bovines, but Beauvin, and that's in 1214. So the Battle of Beauvin was um, between John's allies and Philip II, and it was a direct attempt to attack Philip II and to retake the lands in France that were part of the Angevin Empire. So it was actually led by the Count of Flanders, who was one of John's most important allies in France. And that's important because John wasn't there. So you could criticize him for this. He didn't even show up at, at this very important decisive battle. Okay, it's a um, interesting story actually in that um, they were so close to winning. John's 
army or John's allies were so close to winning France back from to the point that Philip II literally got un unhorsed in the battle. He was on his back in the mud and he gets saved at the last minute by two knights. But had he have been killed, then obviously that may have, have swung the battle in John's allies' favour and they might have won. Anyway, as it happens, John's allies lost the Battle of Beauvan. They lost. Okay, and it's not the battle we're interested in specifically, it's, it's, it's more what happened as a result of it. Okay, and this was John's last attempt to recover Normandy. And had he have won this battle, had he had regained control of the Andrian Empire overseas territories, like his brother had, like his father had, um, this may have saved him. This may have turned the barons back onto his side. But a loss was the final straw. And he wasn't even there, guys. You've got to think. Like, think of Richard. Richard in all his glory, fighting from the front, inspiring those around him. John wasn't even there at this battle that was so divisive. Okay? So as I say, it was the final straw. Had he have won, it may have justified the huge taxes, like the 13th, that John was charging. As it happens, he was unsuccessful, and instead of this great celebration, he was met with open rebellion from his barons. Okay? So, you know, the barons are thinking, we've been taxed all this money, and he hasn't even won. Typical soft sword, all right? He, instead, the barons rebel against him. Okay? They start to do the unthinkable, these barons. They start forging lengths. At links with John's enemies in Scotland and Wales and most importantly some of them start speaking to Philip II as well looking as at him as a potential replacement for John so now John's kind of got enemies within if you like his own barons are turning against him so in January 19, uh, 1215 they give John one final chance and that chance folks is the Great Charter or Magna Carta Essentially, the barons meet with King John and hand him a huge list of demands, insisting that the king agrees to them by putting his seal on it. Okay, now look, Magna Carta is often regarded as one of the most important events, not just in English history or British history, but human history, okay, because it's one of the first times, if not the first time, that the people are making demands of a king, okay? And for that reason, it's this whole symbolic thing. I mean, the, the, a picture of, of, of the event of, of King John at the negotiation, Magna Carta, is, is on the door of the Supreme Court in America, you know, because of what it represents, you know, the strength of the people over a tyrant, you know, all this idea. Whether or not it was actually that significant at the time is open to debate. Now, I'm going to talk about a bit more uh, that a bit more in a, in a moment. But anyway, Magna Carta included lots of different provisions, lots of different demands. And I'm not going to go through them all, but I will go through some of them. So the first pr provision was that the church will be free and that the king will not interfere with the church. So that's, you know, a direct reference to the interdict there and to excommunication. Some other provisions limit the amount of tax, particularly inherent inheritance tax that the king can charge them. Um, provision 12 suggests that no scootage or tax may be raised within the kingdom without uh, the baron's consent. Okay, 
So no scooters can just be levied on the on the barons without them knowing about it. They have to negotiate about it with the king. And what about this one? Provision 8. No widow, no woman shall be forced to marry, okay, as long as she wishes to live without a husband. So King John was known for, for forcing marriage upon uh, women to, to help his own sort of alliances and things like that. Well, this Magna Carta states that can't be done, okay? Some other ones as well. What about this one? Provision 39, no freeman should be arrested in prison or stripped of his possessions without a fair trial. So that's in response to the fact that John ruled arbitrarily and, and wasn't fair with his judgments. But no freeman should be arrested in prison, stripped of his possessions without fair trial. Sounds very similar to what we have today, folks. Yeah, if you're accused of a crime, you may be arrested, but then you have a trial where you're judged. Okay, with a jury and a judge, and you'll, they'll figure out whether you're, you're guilty or innocent, and then they'll sentence you based on that. But you do get the trial. You've got a right to trial, irregardless of what you are accused of. Okay? That's putting that in plain black and white here. It's quite amazing, this. Okay? Another one, provision 20. A freeman shall only be fined in proportion to the seriousness of his events. Of his offence, sorry. Okay? Absolutely incredible but for all these really interesting really arguably forward-thinking demands there are some people missing here when it says a freeman no freeman with our today modern thinking cap on we think of freemen as all men because we're all free but in medieval times in 1215 a freeman was a specific type of person a freeman was somebody who wasn't part of the feudal system was either a baron or somebody that lived in a town who did a job you were not considered a freeman if you were a villain or a serf or you know peasant worked in a field so as forward thinking as this is it omits villeins and peasants and people at the bottom of the feudal system so this is definitely or arguably very self-serving towards the barons Okay, so John puts his seal to this in January 1215 in a place near London called Runnymede. Okay, and he puts his seal to it. He agrees to it. Okay, but he's got absolutely no intention of sticking to it. After he seals it, he appeals to the Pope. And this is where that agreement with the Pope comes in handy, guys. Because if you remember from my previous podcast, John is now a vassal of the Pope. Okay, the Pope is duty-bound to help his feudal subject, now King John. So when John appeals to the Pope, he says, you know, a bunch of my barons are making demands of me that this is not right. I am the king. The Pope sticks up for it. The Pope himself denounces Magna Carta, says it is void, that it doesn't count. Okay, and that meant that legally, as a Christian, as a Catholic... John did not have to stick to it anymore. Okay? And by October 1215, you've got Open Rebellion and the First Baron's War because John goes about looking for revenge. Anyone that was part of Magna Carta that made him put his seal to it is hunted down by John's men. Okay? And in defence... In defiance of the fact that John hasn't stuck to Magna Carta, 
there's a rebellion. Some of the barons rebel against their king. And as I say, this is in October 1250. And it starts uh, with a group of barons taking over Rochester Castle. Okay, And Rochester Castle's in the south, and they take that castle because it's an important trade route from Dover, which is where a lot of goods come in from, um, from abroad. Okay, And so, you know, they hope that by holding Rochester Castle, um, it will sort of make John listen to their demands. John is well aware of the importance and heads to Rochester with a large army. Okay, And in November 1215, that army is defeated. Rochester Castle is fall it falls and some of the rebel barons are, are captured and killed by john the rest of them those that aren't at russia uh, rochester rochester and some of the rebel barons in the north of the country little rebellions popping up all over england you know many barons don't like john at this point for everything that he's done uh many of them either run away after rochester go to france or some of them sort of turn back on to to John's side, okay? But in May 1216, folks, in May 1216, the French arrive. A French army arrives with Philip II's son at its head, Prince Louis, and they arrive in the south of England to help the rebel barons and take over England. That's what happens, okay? So they bring troops, they bring equipment, they bring expertise, all to the side of the barons. So when Rochester falls in November 1215, it looks like John's going to win back his kingdom and, and defeat the barons. But by May 1216, the French have arrived, okay, to bolster the barons' forces, the rebel barons' forces. So John is outnumbered. He flees. He flees to East, uh, to East Africa. No, he doesn't. He flees to East Anglia, which is in the east of England, where he suffers a final humiliation, folks. He loses the crown jewels. He's, he's, he's running away with a big entourage, a sort of army. He's got the crown jewels and all of his wealth in, in, a, in a wagon. He's crossing a, a beach um, in a place called the Wash in East Anglia, uh, when the rebel barons, the French, are on his, on his, on his tail you know, they're going to catch up with him. Um, the carriage with the jewels gets stuck. He either runs away or leaves the jewels. He decides to run away. The jewels are left, the crown jewels are left, and they get lost to the sea. So King John literally loses the crown jewels in the wash. Um, never been found, by the way, never been found. So if you're ever in, you know, on a beach in East Anglia, do keep an eye out for King John's jewels it will make you very famous and very rich if you happen to stumble across them and that really is john's final humiliation because in october 1216 folks he dies he dies he dies eating too many peaches or drinking too many cider either way it's thought that he dies of dysentery basically poos himself to death and he's he dies and uh, eventually his body ends up in a tomb at worcester cathedral it's free to go and see him, by the way. If you're ever shopping in Worcester, you're over there visiting. Do 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 go and have a look at him. It's free to do so. Um, quite amazing. And that pretty much brings us to the end of our course, folks. But just to bear in mind where England is, when Richard dies, 
England is pretty much the same, if not slightly better in terms of how it's run and government and things like that. Um, when he dies, it's the same as it was when it was left to him. When John dies, not only has John lost all of the lands in France, the kingdom is less than half the size that it was before. Um, barons are in open rebellion and the French are invading. The country's bankrupt. It's in total disarray, utter carnage. But he does make one good decision before he dies that fixes or ends up fixing all of the problems that he left England in when he died in October 1216. I'm going to go into that in the next podcast. It's been a longer one than I thought, folks, so thank you for sticking with it. I hope it's been useful to you. The next one will be a short one, I promise. Keep that revision going. Keep working hard. And as always, I will see you next time. Bye-bye.